At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a walk-off grand slam or a base hit to center field. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Pet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. NFL Total Access, the podcast, is getting you ready for the 2024 NFL Draft. I'm your host, Andrew Levy, and I'll be delivering two shows a week to make sure you're caught up on the very latest NFL news, including every free agency move and how it changes the draft needs of your favorite team. Draft experts and talent scouts, mock drafts, and a few shock drafts, too. NFL Total Access, the podcast, is already on the clock on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals, Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back, everyone, to another episode of Comeback Stories. I'm here with my man, Donnie Starkins, as always. I'm super excited for the guests that we have lined up today. Uh, a guest whose poster I had on my wall as a kid from Sports Illustrated Kids uh, magazine, a man that you guys that. would know for <laughs> – yeah, man, that was, that was, those are the days right there. But someone you may know for running wild on the football field uh, for Texas Longhorns, Miami Dolphins, but a man who is showing us as time goes along how, how many gifts are on the inside of him, how much more he is than just a football player. Excited to welcome Ricky Williams to the show today. Ricky, great to have you, man. Wow. I think that's probably one of the best intros I think I've <laughs> ever received. So seriously, thank you. Nah, of course, man. Um, we always love to start the show asking people what life was like for them growing up, but I want to change it up today. I want to ask you, when was the first moment you started to feel a bit of an itch or a tug that was telling you there's got to be more to life than what I'm experiencing right now? You know, it's a good question. It happened um, as soon as I finished uh, at Texas, and you know, it was a it was a big goal of mine to to win the Heisman Trophy. You know, when I was a freshman at Texas, my email address was Heisman at utexas.edu. <laughs> so I went, I like that was I was so like laser focused on on being the best, uh, and to me that rep- was represented by the Heisman Trophy. And so after I won the trophy. Um, I didn't really dream beyond that. So it was kind of what's the next logical step? And it right. was going to the NFL. And as soon as I went into that mode and I didn't have a dream anymore, then I started to say there must be there there's gotta be something more than this. Mm. And yeah, I know that, you know, that feeling had to have followed you through your time in the league, followed you through a lot of circumstances, a lot of different occurrences, and it that itch may have gotten a little stronger that that voice may have gotten a little louder when did you really start to truly follow that voice with intention 
It's funny because you know it's it's nice to say the voice gets louder, but it's more the the life gets more uncomfortable, mm. you know, yes. right? Because as the voice gets louder, you have to do more to try to quiet it down. And so, um, you know, and and it's it's interesting because especially when the voice is telling you something that is so against what everyone else is telling you. Mm. you know? So I, I heard the voice a bunch of times. You know, maybe I shouldn't maybe I shouldn't be playing football. You know, and I thought, you know, one off season, I started getting back in baseball shape, you know, thinking, okay, I'm going to stop doing this and do something different. But it was just baseball because I I don't think I I had a wide enough idea of what what I was capable of beyond just being a really good football player, because for the most part, I was a smart football player, but that's only among football players, you know, and it, it wasn't until... I finally got the courage to to like do what I really wanted to do and travel around the world that I that I started to to activate those other parts of myself. You know, as I started traveling around the world, I started meeting people who had no idea I was a football player. So I started getting, uh, you know, reflected back to me different parts of myself that people liked. And so those parts of me started to grow. And I realized I have so much more value to, to give to the world than just running up and down a football field. And, and, you know, those other ways, they felt better and they hurt less. Mm. They didn't pay as well at the time, <laughs> but, but internally they, they were much more rewarding. Mm. That's, that's amazing. I'd, I'd love for you to describe like what were some of the emotions and the thoughts were of maybe being recognized as this great football player, but, but nothing more than that. A lot of people look in, like there are people that are stopping and looking through this glass, like all the time as we're recording this show, looking doing it right now. in there just like, Oh, like, football player like this that and the third and it's like i don't know they think that our life there could be no wrong it's it's so perfect it's it's all we could have ever imagined but a lot of times in my career i felt the complete opposite and could you describe like what it feels like to see those people and think that it's one thing and it be the complete opposite yeah um you know it it it, it took a while for me even to like appreciate other people's perspective you know especially again when i got into the nfl it was it was under some kind of internal like la- lack of like purpose you know and so it was superficial you know and so i was like playing the game you know doing what i so i thought i was i was like them i thought i was supposed to have everything and be living the dream too but again the the loud voice of my internal experience and when i go home and close the door i feel empty you know that, that that's what can that's what consumed me. I was so stuck in that it was hard for me to 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 appreciate other people's other people's perspective. Um, but but what what I did notice and I think what did affect me was, you know, when I was in college in, in Texas, I was the kid from California who was you know more liberal and had different ideas and and it was kind of part of my it was like part of my personality. So it was it was a positive thing. And it was appreciated. So I would share my interesting ideas and people would love it. And I, and I, so I felt I, I had some kind of value beyond just being a football player. And I think that balance is why I had so much like success. Then I get to the NFL and I start talking to the reporters and I'm being the same person I was at Texas, but it's interpreted completely different. I'm, you know, weird and aloof and all these different things. And so when who, what the things that I truly valued about myself, weren't being valued by other people, that that was the hardest thing for me. And that felt like being invisible. I've seen you talk on 
uh, multiple occasions talking about being comfortable being weird. That's something that took me a long time to figure out. I was always a people pleaser since I was a kid. That the way that I showed up in the world, people were always like, why, people my skin color, why do you talk like that? Why do you act like that? Why do you hang mm. around people like that? Why are you interested in these things? And so, you know, very early on, it became like, okay, being weird or being different is bad, as opposed to being weird, being different is a unique gift that only I possess the ability to be this way. And I, I appreciate you. And I love that point so much because the inner child in me is like, yes, like I wish I would have had this long so long ago but it's like how how did you when did you start to really embrace that the weirdness about you and begin to see it in such a light yeah so again growing up <clears throat> growing up in california there's already a kind of expectation that people are going to be a little more individual okay so so there's the that's the that's the lays the ground the groundwork and then in california it's it's is like I went to, I was bused into to a, a predominantly like white school, and you know in California they they created a track system, and it was a way to to make integration work because they integrated the schools, but they said we'll test all the students, and the ones that test in the A group will keep them in the advanced track, and the ones that don't will keep them in the B track. And really, what they were saying is we'll separate them by by race. Okay. But I happened to be one of the rare people in, in the school that tested up. And so I was in the upper track. So this, this feeling of always being different, it was just part of my identity because I was always different than everyone else around me. And even going to Texas, you know, being the guy from California, I was always different. And it, but it, so it was integrated into my, to who I was. And so weird was, was for the most part, a positive thing. You know, I hadn't, I hadn't learned enough about myself to realize how weird I was, but I was just weird enough to find that sweet spot. Okay. And then when I get to the NFL, I get weird. It, the, it is not so cool. You know, there was a, a more expect an expectation to, to conform to a certain image of what people thought a, a warrior football player was supposed to be. And so that's when I started to become more sensitive to how different I was. Cause it was the first time where being myself wasn't, wasn't getting a, a pleasant response. And so, you know, then I tried to pretend to be like everyone else, but that didn't work. And I felt that I wasn't very good at it. Um, and so all I was left with was, uh, I guess I got to be myself. I've heard in both of your stories, some synergies that um, I just wanted to bring up because I've heard your story and I obviously know Darren's story about Darren has talked about this many times and not, about not feeling black enough. And I've heard you say where you're too mm. white, you're too white for your black friends and too black for your white friends. Or I think I've heard you use the analogy of an Oreo cookie where your friends would say you were black on the outside, but white on the inside. And this is Darren's Ooh. core wound, which for drove sure. him, drove him to his, the depths of his addiction. So that piece and then the being different, right? Those are the kind of the two things where I'm like, wow, I can't wait to, get these two guys together, these amazing, beautiful souls to chop it up and have the, have these similar backgrounds. Yeah. That's, that's, wow. where, that's where, that's... It, that's where it begins because it's like, you know, you, you look at drugs and, and alcohol and things like that. And it's all like, I just want to change the way that I feel. And it's like, as you look mm. back and peel back the layers and uncover, like, why do I want to change the way that I feel so desperately? The beginning phases of that were when I was a kid and when, you know, the friends in my neighborhood were white and I was just playing with them outside because they were doing something I like to do and they were cool people. But, you know, I would I would get, you know, ridiculed for that all the time. Like and then that just became 
part of my identity. Like, dog, you ain't really black. Like, acting black was this thing. And it's like, and you, like, bro, I, I cannot change my skin color. Like, I'm going to be black. But to have that identity follow me around, it's, it felt like something that I couldn't change and that I was stuck with. And that's why it took me to so many levels. And, you know, coming into women and people pleasing and, you know, thinking I'm not good enough at sports, like, all those things came from that wound of, like, you know, as a man who is who is black and can't change that, I'm not black enough. Like, whoa, I'm a failure from the age of seven or eight years old. Wow, I mean, I I, I can 100% relate relate to that to that wound, you know. But I I think the the value, at least for me, of of going through that wound is you get to transcend it, or you at least have the opportunity to transcend it, you know. And and it took, I had a teacher, you know. I, when I retired from the NFL, I really got into yoga, you know, like, like hardcore. Like I was living at a yoga retreat and teaching yoga there. And, and the main reason I was there is because I was looking for guidance. I was looking for mentorship and the head, the head yoga teacher there, she's a very respected woman. And she, she taught me a valuable lesson. Whenever she would hear me complaining about being black or being a man, she would, she would remind me, she said, you are not black. You are not a man, you know? And what she was pointing to, there was something internal that doesn't have a color or a gender that is really the essence of who I was. And, and it's, I mean, that's a complex way of saying, you know, being, being black and even being a, a man is, is an external shell. Okay. Mm. And its only purpose is to, is to be a filter or a vehicle through some, for something more, more profound to shine through. Because right? if we take the vehicle, when we have to, and we identify with that, we have to identify with the history of it. Okay, and the history, and the history of being African American in this country is one that's rooted in, in slavery, and and I'm not saying we 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 forget that it happened, but we but we keep perspective to realize, okay, this is the vehicle through which something deeper, more profound is shining through, mm. and and for me, like. The, the experiences that I've, I've had through that wound have brought me to that place where I feel like I, I can hold both and in, in, with an, an appreciation and, and a love and a love for being male and being black, you know, and this is I'm just going to get on a soapbox just for a minute because it's, it's, it's coming. It's coming to my mouth. You know, I, I see people in the world like s struggling, you know, and this is just my my personal observation is. This idea of am I am I a man? Am I a woman? Am I can I identify? I get it, right? I get it. And to me, it feels similar to if I was a kid and I looked around and I was like, people aren't nice to the black people, right? They they have negative stereotypes and they expect that they're going to rob them or do something bad and they're afraid of them, right? If I was a kid, I'd have been like, I'm not black. I'm not black, right? Yeah. Can I be like not black, right? And people look at me and laugh. You know, and I and I think it's it's the beginning to 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 de-attach ourselves from the labels, okay? But we can't throw away the baby with the bathwater, right? We have right. these bodies, and we have to have some kind of way to understand the purpose and how to live in them and how to appreciate them, and dare I say, how to utilize them. I think that's the importance of doing soul work, right? Going on this journey. I mean, you've been on quite the journey, and I know Darren's all about the work. Darren and I connected initially from m me coaching him. And I also teach yoga and mindfulness and meditation and 
our relationship has evolved way beyond that, but it's, uh, it's being able to see, see another human being on a soul level and also be able to see ourselves on a soul level and not in this flesh or even the color of our skin. Yeah. I mean, and even like, I'm just like blown away that we're having this conversation, <laughs> you know, what, um... because people need to, people need to hear. I think people need to hear these words, even if they don't completely understand them, they need to get into people's consciousness. So people have more options of how to show up. Well, you, I've heard you talk many times about the, the uncomfortable conversations or the hard conversations and, We've talked about this a lot, and I always say the conversation we least want to have is the one that we need to have next. But for my whole life, I've ran from hard conversations because I'm a peacemaker, and I just don't want to confront that, and that's just rooted in childhood stuff, and and it's just conditioning. But um, I, I still am smiling because I often still trip over the same things that I will teach somebody else, but I know this has been my work. But I've heard you say it multiple times, and I just love, I mean, some of your um, your teachings, Ricky, and and some of your uh, wisdom is it's it's I'm totally on the same page, and I've learned a lot from you, especially doing a little bit more research these last couple of days. Oh, I mean, to me, the, like what I've learned through all of the ups and downs, and I think that's the purpose. That's the purpose of the challenges is that there's at the end of the day, if you pay attention, you like you you get something, you know, and at the end of the day, like that there's something inside of me that like, if I listen to it, you know, regardless of the external result, I feel good about myself. Mm. And, and there's less confusion, you know, there's less confusion. Yeah. It's like at this point in my life and just from like, we just talked to uh, Tommy Rosen and he was talking about, nobody can tell you what to believe. You know, people can, can, mm. can guide us. Uh, people can show us a way, whether it be, it, it could be a great way for us or it could be, you know, the wrong way for us, but all they can do is give us suggestions and it's up to us to make the, the decisions at the end of the day. So I'd like to know, like, where has your search for meaning, your search for purpose in your life taken you geographically, mentally, spiritually, like take us through some of that journey. Oh, wow. Wow. That's like, that's kind of where I live. So I think I've, I've, you know, once I, I gave myself permission, I started to live my life based on curiosity, you know, and, and it's it's related to what I just said. And that curiosity was like rooted in that that voice I hear inside, you know. And so it was I was in the NFL and um, my my whole life okay, in my, in my football career. It's like in high school, each year I got better, you know, statistically. And then I got to college. Each year, statistically, I got better. Then I got to the NFL, okay? The first three years, statistically, I got better, right? So end of that third year, 2002, I led the NFL in rushing, um, went to my first Pro Bowl. It was all pro, uh, 1,850 yards, okay? And so based on the trajectory, okay, I just knew I was going to break 2,000 yards the next year, okay? This is because, right, that, that's the way it's, it's always been. Right. And that next year, that next year began, and it didn't. It didn't go that way. Okay, um, I got a whole bunch of carries and not a whole bunch of yards. Okay, and <laughs> and so the 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 bubble popped. Okay, that bubble was my last bubble I had left. Okay, it popped. Right? Um, and and so there was, and I had to start asking myself if it's not this, because it's obvious it ain't this, not the way I think it is. Then it must be something else. 
And is like as soon as I made that shift, I I, I changed and I started becoming interested in reading. You know, so I started re- just reading books that that caught my attention, and I started gravitating towards books about travel. And I started imagining myself like traveling around the world and having experiences that I've only thought about, but I never like pulled the trigger to go actually pursue the curiosity. All right. Um, and then finally, when I retired from the NFL, I was gone. You know, I started to pursue the curiosity and it felt so good that it just became the way that I lived my life. And so um, soon after I retired, it became known that part of my retirement was tied to failing, failing a drug test. And so the news news caught, caught a hold of this and all these negative stories were, were going on. And at the same time, a friend of mine said she was taking a trip to Fiji and Samoa. So I was like, hey, <laughs> can I come with you? <laughs> And so I got out, of, got out of Dodge. So I went to Fiji, went to Samoa, and then I was there, and I realized I was really close to Australia, one of my favorite places in the world. And so I said, I'm going to hop on a, a plane and go to Australia. So I flew into Sydney, hung out there for a couple of days, and there's a town in, in um, on the the east coast of Australia called Byron Bay. It's like a hippie town that I visited once, and I always told myself I want to get back there. So in Sydney, I hopped on the Greyhound, first time taking a Greyhound. Took the Greyhound, I think it was eight hours, up to Byron Bay, thinking I was going to be there for a couple of days. I photographed the lighthouse, and I was walking down the hill. I heard this voice from behind me say, hey. And I turned around, and there's this this older, probably in his 50s, white guy with dreads, and he's wearing a Bob Marley shirt. And, and if he wasn't wearing a Bob Marley shirt, I probably just would have kept on walking. But I was like, this is interesting. So we ended up talking and connecting and in it turned into like a scene from a movie where he became like my mentor for the next month or so, you know, and every day we'd, we'd walk around town and he would, and he would talk about nature. He was a gardener and he would talk about nature and he had this philosophy about nature. He called the corn state and you, you know, just the closest something is to its original state, the more vibrant is going to be its expression. Right. And the way he, he manifested this, this philosophy, he's homeless. Okay. Meaning he lived in a tent kind of in the middle of the swamp. And and he but his in his most prized possession he has like this five hundred dollar hand mill, and so he was on he was on disability. He'd get his check, he'd walk into town, go to the butcher, and he'd buy a couple of pounds of grains, and he would come back to his place and he would just grind all day long, and then at the end of the day he would he would okay? and then he would share the bread with 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 us. Um, and I'm telling you, something about this bread, it's, it was vital. It was alive, okay? And so, so we spent about a month in, in Byron Bay and him like kind of teaching me his philosophy on life. And at the end of the, the last week there, he had this Bible and he said, I want to share this with you. I grew up very religious, but I'd been away from the Bible for a long time. And so I picked up the Bible and I said, I'm just going to start reading. And I started like, I just became like, enthralled you know i'd living a little bit the story started to make sense and especially the way i just away you know and i was out like it, i was on that wavelength where i could appreciate what was going on in, in this book and i got to and i got to the gospels and there was one verse i came across that changed everything for me okay it's a verse in matthew and basically the verse says if you leave home family and everything looking for me you will get all of those things a hundred times in return okay and in that moment, I felt like, ah, right, like this is exactly where this is exactly where I'm supposed to be, and this is exactly what I'm supposed to be doing. Okay? And and I was in that 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 mind 
instead of just really listening to what my heart wanted to do. And I, as I was reading the Bible, okay, it might sound crazy, but I think you guys will get it. If I need to go to the mountains and fast, okay? At this time of my life, I've never fasted before. And I was in this town in, in Australia, and I didn't know where the mountains were. So I got on Google, and I said, are there any mountains close to Byron Bay? And I saw northern, northern Australia. I could hop on a Greyhound and be there in, in a day and a half. And so I hopped on the Greyhound, and I went up to the mountains, and I fasted for a week. Right? <laughs> I mean, I, I could tell a bunch of stories about that, that week fasting in the, in the wilderness. But, but when I came down off the hill, I had some kind of, some kind of clarity. Okay? And, and Stephen and I, my, my mentor, we had planned to, to fly to India to, to go rub hash in the, in the Himalayas. Um, but after coming down from the mountain, I had this clarity that I need to go, I need to go back home and there's some unfinished work I have to do. Um, and so, and it was funny, I was watching a Raiders game. This is a cool, like one of those cool synchronistic stories. I was in, I was in a small town in Thailand about to take a trip to India. Okay. I was about to go and I was waiting for the tuk-tuk in Chiang Mai, Thailand at this little hostel. Okay. And I'm sitting down, waiting for the tuk-tuk, about to go to Thailand, about to go to India, and probably never, no one would ever see me again. Okay. And this little guy comes up and he turns on the television. Okay. And and the Raiders <laughs> are playing the Tampa Bay Bucks. And I'm thinking, no way. Okay. I'm way out here and across the globe. And the guy turns on and there's a football game. So I got the message. So I got on the phone and I and I got the first flight back to LA because I realized there was work that I needed to to come do. And so that brought me back. And that's, <laughs> that was that journey of where, where my, uh, my impulse, my intuition took me during that year. Okay. So what, when you, upon your return to America, you said there was work to be done. What did that look, what did that work look like? So, you know, I, I imagined if I would have gone to India, right. Gone on that path. I really just, what I, I think kept on moving away from the world. You know, and I might have found like a, a nice spot and just lived lived there, but I, I felt pulled that there's there's work I actually need to do in the world, and because of the way I left, and that I needed to come back and clear my name and and like get on with my life, not run away from from mm -hmm. my life. Um, but but at the same time, I also realized that to move forward in my life, I have to develop a, a skill. You know, it was, I had this moment in Australia. I found this beautiful piece of land that I, I wanted to purchase. And, but in order to purchase the land, I had to become a, a citizen of Australia. And at that point, I was, I, was all, I was all for it. So I started filling out the paperwork. And I got to a section where they asked, basically, what are you going to do when you get here? You know, and so it was a list of like 250 occupations. And I started going down the list. You know? <laughs> and I got to the bottom of the list and I realized, I don't know how to do anything but play football. So, so when I, when I came back, I, I had to like have this talk with myself and like outside of a football player, like what, what is it that I actually want to do? And so I, I took inventory of my life and tried to say like, what are the things that feel best to me? And what I realized is what felt best to me was sharing insights with people that helped them like have some kind of release and feel better. And so I thought that's like uh, someone in like the counseling or the healing arts. And so I started looking for programs and I, I started studying Ayurveda because um, part of my football career is that, you know, people don't think about this a lot, but in order to be a successful professional athlete, the one thing you have to be able to do is heal. 
Mm, right. Because yeah. if you're hurt, you, you, you can't play. Right. And so, I, you know, I spend so much time and energy and, and resources trying to recover and heal my body that I came across these really interesting alternative uh, modalities that were really that worked. And so, I, you know, my curiosity led me to want to understand how they work, one, so that I could do them on myself, but also so that I could help other people. And so that really became a, a, like a, an, a theme in my life and a place where I, I've started to I found ultimate meaning of developing skills that help me be more helpful to people and helping other people feel better. I love that you landed on. But in order to do that, but in order to do that, I had to come back and play a couple more years and show people, you know, that I'd grown and matured through the process to develop um, the kind of respect um, that would allow me to do the kind of work that I, I feel I'm here to do. So coming back and playing a couple of years gave you closure and allowed you to, to at least kind of uh, turn the page on football, but but do it the right way. And it's almost a way of kind of doing it your way and not being at the mercy of all the naysayers and letting them run with the narrative of whatever story they were creating around you. Yeah. And the, the, the big thing that I, that I, that was different when there was two things that were huge when I came back one, you know, the year I was off, I did a lot of yoga, a lot of meditation, like a lot of work to like heal, you know, to heal. Cause yeah, a lot of work to heal. So I came back a different person. And what I found was in order to like get into the zone, before it was more the rage from the pain. And when I started to go there and look for the rage from the pain, when I came back, it wasn't there so much. And so, and so it took me a, like a, a way to find another way to like tune into that, to that place. And, and I utilized what I learned in yoga and meditation. Um, and so like my, my pregame, you know, routine went from listening to music to get me hype to listening to the kind of music that got me into that soulful place, you know? And I noticed that my body recovered faster because it, it wasn't so rev, revved up that I was I was competing and performing more from a from a enlightened higher state than more from that animalistic um, like rage that I think you you have to access to be a successful athlete. I feel I feel myself tapping more into that um, enlightened place because I mean, like you just said, I don't, before the games, I used to listen to straight trap music, straight some with some 808s, like a hard beat. Like, but now it's like, I'm more like, you might catch me listening to some piano music, meditating, like, yeah. uh, some soulful samples, like things like that, because I don't know, I, I can ride the roller coaster if I allow myself to, uh, emotionally, just energetically, like I can be high, I can be low. Like, I can just be, you know, my ego can be on swole after a couple plays, but then like if, if if one thing goes wrong, you know, sometimes I can be in my head like, why am I even building a house here? I need to I need to tear it down. Like I'm not gonna I'm not even gonna live here. They're gonna ship me out of town. So it's like finding that find that balanced state where it's like not too excited, not too fearful, not too worried, but just like, yeah, it, it, and it allows you in a way to have a competitive advantage. That's that's what I feel like has allowed me to elevate my career to where it is today because it's not the rage to prove something it's more so the being and knowing that i'm called to be here right now and this is my current platform well that's yeah it. and also the expression of our gifts mm. you know like to me like like as i as i matured and i got older in the nfl the the like that anxiety was always there of you know if i don't perform things <laughs> but it, it transformed into a confidence of this is what i've been doing you yeah. know and i i had a track record of looking back of you know, the eight years of being anxious and realizing I still performed. 
and there's this this peace and this this freedom of just I go out there and, and do my thing. Yeah. Well, what you were sharing, Darren, it's, it just feels like, I mean, I'm wearing the shirt that says find your center, but it's like that, that saying the middle ground is the holy ground mm. where we're not too high, mm. not too low. And middle doesn't mean like content, just going through the motions. It means steady, you know, steady and like grounded in the body, connected to the heart or connected to the breath. Right. So we can be in our body. And when we're making decisions from our center, we're going to make better decisions. We're not making a matter of reaction or fear and ultimately that is like the ultimate healing state so ricky how do you how does your body feel today like are, are the practices the meditation the yoga i know you're into acupuncture all you, the ayurvedic practices how does your physical body feel today after all the wear and tear of being a starting running back in the nfl for so many years you know it's it feels i still feel you know because I, I i was a big time running back for a long. So I still feel a lot of the hits, but what I realized halfway through my career is that we have to balance the intensity of the game with the intensity of our recovery and our healing. Mm. And so I I spent a lot of time, I mean, hours, hours, hours of body work. And again, I I took classes to become a body worker. So in the classes we work on each other and I, and I work on myself all the time. And, and what I've taken from those experiences is, re- is really a way to come to terms with, with what occurred to my body as a football player. And, and to put it simply, you know, when, when you have an uh, impact, okay, that there's swelling and there's things that, that have to go on for the body to be able to recover. And it, it, this is related to something that we just talked about, the highs and the lows. And I don't think it's so much about avoiding the highs and the lows because the nature of life is that it's, it fluctuates. Mm. And I think the, the resiliency of, of humans of life and the resiliency that manifests in our brain is the ability to recover, the ability to recover, the ability to go to the high and then come back to homeostasis, to go to the low and then come back. That's the joy of life. I think the issue is when we go to the high and we get stuck there Mm. or we go to the low and we get stuck there. Okay. That's trauma. That's the effect of trauma. And so in the body work that I've like, that I've received and I've learned to do, it really is just about bringing movement, bringing energy, blood flow back into certain areas of the life because of the body, because the body has a tremendous ability to heal. Once there's life force and movement, right? We have this adaptability. And I think what happens is when we take so many hits and so much trauma, it puts a burden on that adaptability and we don't, and we, we only can adapt in a, in a short range. And so anything we can do in our life with our thinking, with our movement to bring movement and flow into all areas of our lives, I think that's the key to, to healing all kinds of trauma. Because what I'm saying is, is physical impact, but we all have had emotional impacts and, and the trauma works the same way. We get stuck in this emotional place and we don't have the flexibility to move to move out of it. And the more we can be flexible with, with the people in our lives and the way we interact and how we interact, it brings that movement back so that we can resolve all of these things. Cause we've, we've all been through it. We've all been through a war. Infinite flexibility. One of my friends and meditation teachers, David G um, has a meditation called infinite flexibility. And so, yeah, physical flexibility, mental flexibility, but just being, being agile, being able to be in the flow, and again, just come back, continue to to return to homeostasis or to return to our center. What is your 
self-care game look like today? What are some of your practices? Do you have a morning routine? Is it consistent? Uh, what does that look like? Yes. So I, I mean, I'm, I'm 45 now, so I've kind of played with all of this and I figured out something that, that works for me. And so my, my, when I came back to the NFL after retiring, my, my hobby was taking classes. So I have like a tool bag of like modalities, techniques, so many. And at first it was like, which ones, how do I integrate them into a practice? And, and what I realized now is the, the first part of my practice is listen to my body, you know, because it's, it's great to have a lot of techniques, but if you don't have the receptivity to, to listen and pay attention, then it becomes confusing. And so listen, I listen to my body and depending on what my body wants, I have things in the, in the tool bag to, to treat them. Okay. But the thing that I do every day, is when I when I wake up in the morning, the first thing I do is a prayer, you know, and it's like a prayer to remind myself of that I'm not here for myself, that I'm here to play a part in something larger than just me. And I like starting my morning with that reminder, just it, it's it's a daily thing. And then to support that, uh, after that, I, I have uh, a few more prayers that I do, and just to remind myself that I'm not alone, that I that I have help. Okay, um, and then and then I do I'll do sun salutations, um, which that's the minimum of what I do. And if I have more time or my body needs more, um, that can change into movement like Tai Chi or Qigong breathing exercises. Um, it could turn into a, a longer yoga session. Uh, it could turn into a longer meditation session or just laying on the ground in, in Shavasana and just going deep into relaxing different parts of my body. Um, but I, I try to set aside at least an hour and a half every morning to, to like, to ground myself in, in my path. How long did it take you to get settled into that hour and a half? Because now like I've, I mean, I'm, I'm five years into, you know, a journey of seeking healing and seeking uh, growth. And there are mornings where, you know, sometimes I'm like, like the them meetings, you gotta be there at treatment at six in the morning. Uh, you know, you up at five or maybe sometimes even before. And it's like, you know, I try to, do the 30, 30 minutes is like the longest I can do like a normal day or I feel like I can do like how long did it take you to really carve out that 90 minutes and feel okay with creating that block and not worrying about anything else outside of it? Yeah. I mean, it took, it took until I was in my mid forties far after retiring and, and to a place where I, I, I create my own schedule. So I make sure to, to put that in. But when I was a football player, I was at half an hour. Like that, it's that that sweet spot. I would make sure to give myself a half an hour, and then some days, if I was feeling like really beat up, I would try to wake up a little bit earlier. It's funny, like the the last the last two years of my of my career in training camp, I, I did like a, a self inflicted uh, meditation challenge, and it was a specific meditation technique that took takes about forty five minutes. And so I'd get up in training camp because I wanted to see if I was meditating consistently, how would it affect how I went through training camp. And so it was, it was a difficult practice, um, but I did it. And the, the main area that I focused on towards the end of my career was the time we have after meetings on Saturday night, you know, yeah. when we're done, yep. that that's when I would really go into like my, my like meditation routine. And then in the morning before the game, I had about a 45 minute sun salutation and a specific meditation that, that I did. So during the week, it was hard. I had that half an hour, but I would take that the night after the night before the game and a little bit the morning before the game to really like 
that was my weekly practice. Can you talk a little bit about the importance of building the relationship with your own mortality or coming to terms with our own mortality or allowing death to be our teacher? Because I think it's a very, very important uh, teaching that I think in our society, a lot of people don't talk about it or they just kind of turn a blind eye to it. And in my experience and what I'm learning is that death can actually teach us to live. Um, what are your thoughts on all that? Oh, I mean, I, it's one of my favorite things to, to talk about. Um, you know, I just because doing body work, I, I've I come to appreciate if I'm working on someone's head and I start to put my awareness on their feet, I become aware of connections between the, the, the dura or the fascia in their head and the fascia in their feet. I feel the connection. So wherever we put our awareness, that's where the mind goes. Okay. And the reality is that death is coming for all of us. Okay. And I remember, I remember when I was seven, okay, I had this big fight with my mom. Right. And I decided I don't want to live anymore. Okay. I, I made that decision. I'm out of here. Okay. This woman is crazy. I'm out of here. <laughs> right. And, and, and so I started to imagine myself not living and I couldn't do it. Couldn't do it. Right. Even when I went to death, like me existing, I, I couldn't imagine myself not existing. So I gave up on that idea. Okay. So, so I realized that whenever my experience, whenever we die here, we don't, we don't cease to exist where we keep existing. And so the future is coming. Okay. It's coming. And, you know, we can think about thinking about next week. Okay. If I think about next week, right, I can start to do things now to prepare me for next week. Right. That's the whole idea of, we know we're playing the Patriots. And so we get the game plan and we prepare ourselves to get ready to play the Patriots. Okay. Right. We're more prepared for the future. Okay. And so I think when we start to think about what is beyond, at least putting our attention there. Okay. Right. It starts to, even if we're not, we're not consciously aware of it, it starts to create these neural connections that allow us to start to prepare for whatever's coming just for the simple fact that it's coming. Okay. And, and, and another way I think about it, and I use this one a lot, you know, I go to that moment on my deathbed because again, I know it's coming. So I go there, I go there and I think like, how do I want to feel? <laughs> I'm allowed to do that, right? How do I want to feel, okay? And when I the sense I get is that there's certain things that I feel like I need to accomplish to feel good at that moment. And that check-in reminds me to make sure to, on some level I'm attending to those things that are going to feel good at that point because I would like to feel good in that moment, you know? And, and from what I've heard, people say as, as we're leaving this, this, this earthly existence, that our whole life flashes in front of us. Yeah, I've heard that a lot. A lot of people say that. And the only the only thing I have to compare is when I picked up the phone to retire from the NFL. Okay, my whole life <laughs> flashed in front of me, right? And I and I had this like this realization of wow, so much of my identity has been tied to me as a football player. Okay, so I I had some glimpse of a of a resonant experience of this moment where we reflect and we get this whole picture. And I think to be aware of the whole picture of our existence now, you know, helps us like step, like step up to the challenge and, and do our best to, 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 to express something that feels good to us. Can you talk a little bit more about that phone call and what that phone call, what was the, obviously was there more to it? I mean, if I've, I've heard some of your story about, um, you had maybe an ultimatum of, of either not 
not you're either taking opiates or not taking opiates or taking opiates or smoking weed and that was the option and you chose not to take to take opiates is that is that kind of the story or part of it uh, I mean that's a that's a version of the story. Yeah. I mean we can talk about that now because we have more more uh, we're more liberal in our ability to talk about cannabis and to talk about opiates because the people are more informed. But this was back in 2004 where when you <laughs> talked about these things you typically did them in private. And so it was it was a there was a confluence of events, confluence of events going on. But the the general message through the confluence was. I, that there are experiences I need to have and staying stuck to this identity as a football player is going to keep me from having the experiences I need to have. Mm -hmm. Right. And it was what we talked about earlier. We get the voices right? I got the whisper saying, walk away. But I said, I can't, I can't, I can't. And so I made a deal with myself. I said, if I fail another drug test, I'm going to walk away. That's like, and if I somehow don't fail a drug test, it means that I'm supposed to play. Right. So it's about a week away from the season. Um, I, it was the last test. So I knew if I pass this one, it's the, I'm in. Okay. <laughs> and so uh, I was, I was in the Bahamas with, with a good friend of mine, uh, a good friend of mine who, who has some property down there. So we're, we're hanging in the Bahamas and I kept telling my sister, cause in the NFL's drug program, if you fail a test seven days later, you get a FedEx. Okay. And so I told my sister, go by the house and see, and this was the moment of truth. Okay. And I got the call from my sister. You got a FedEx, okay? And then it's like the world started to like wobble. My heart started beating fast. And I was like, okay, here we are, you know? And and so I was talking to my friend who I respect a lot. And he's like, you know, go for it. And so I went into his office and the at the the letter it says, you know, if you have any questions, call Dr. Brown. Okay, Dr. Brown's the head of the NFL's drug policy. So 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 I called Dr. Brown, you know, and he's like, ah, you know. Sorry. And I said, nah, you don't have to worry about me. <laughs> I, said, I said, you don't got to worry about me. I said, I'm done. You know, I said, I said, thank you. This has been great and have a good life. And then I hung up the phone. Um, that was the call. And it was, it was like, again, but before I, before I was, I was walking to make the call. That's when everything, the whole life flashed in front of me. And I realized I was giving all of that up. And, and I didn't know how it was going to feel when I hung up the phone, but I hung up the phone and I felt this huge weight lift off my shoulders, huge weight. Mm. Um, and this, this freedom of, I, I'm not stuck in that place of that, that, that place of having to keep proving myself over and over and over and over and over again, that I've proven myself and now I've earned the right to do what I really want to do. And the reality of it outside of my mind was I have enough money to do it. Right. I, there's nothing telling me I can't. It's just a matter of owning owning the opportunity and making the difficult choice. And I needed to fail a drug test to like push me push me a little bit more. But you know, that's what happened. It comes back to the whole idea of death because the one constant in this life really is that in order to achieve something, we have to sacrifice something else. It's it's dying to the old or releasing the old so we can invite in the new. So. Um, hmm. it kind of all does circle back to the message around death. And it sounds like once you were able to let that go, I mean, listening to you articulate in your wisdom and the path that you're on, it feels like you are way in your way more in your purpose now than you've ever been in your life. Yeah. And that was, that was the commitment. I mean, I didn't, I wasn't aware that's what I was doing, but that was the commitment I was making in that moment. And it's, and I'm, you know, I, I, people don't think about it when they, when they, 
when they hear me speak, but I, I consider myself a very like practical person in the sense if something works, I'm going to do it. You know, and if something doesn't work, I'm probably going to stop doing it. Man, I'm I'm over here just reminiscing over uh, my FedEx days from the league. Um, all, the, all the bro, FedEx. Oh my God, I had FedEx PTSD. Yeah, no, year. no, ser- FedEx, seriously. Bro, my parent, my parents have FedEx PTSD from letters coming to the house, and I'm stuffing them in the trash can and and trying and trying to hide, hide oh them and stuff. <laughs> but it's like you talked about um, that weight being lifted off your shoulders. I I felt that like I was in the I think I was in like a Lincoln Town Car riding through like the New England. Cause I went to detox in uh, Boston and I went to rehab in Maine and just like sitting there and, and thinking and listening to myself for once. And like knowing that I was really taking a pause and really taking a step. Like that's when mm-hmm. I felt that similar release because I knew I was heading into a place where, Hey, I'm actually going to make a decision for me now. And mm-hmm. whereas before in the previous 25 years, I had never made a decision for me. It was always what aligned with, you know what we talked about in the beginning, like what everybody else was doing, like what what I should be doing, like what it and it was just like I don't know, man. I, I'm just thinking about those FedEx memories and that time in that car going to rehab. I'm like, man, like our this is so similar. Ah, <laughs> oh, a FedEx man, that's real. <laughs> so you, Dr. Brown, huh? Dr. Brown's. <laughs> I sent Dr. Brown so many emails, lying, like trying to finesse my way out of a situation, like just. Man, what a job, huh? He was the <laughs> he's the boogeyman. <laughs> man, wow, what a time, man! But hey, Ricky, I know um, we probably have to let you go in a few minutes, but I just wanted to one. I wanted to ask one thing: Would you be willing to give Darren um, a, a reading? My, oh, my I would I'd love, love to, to treat him. I'm, I'll, I'll you can send me the invoice, <laughs> but. Darren just celebrated a big five-year sobriety birthday, and I would like to gift him that. And I think I know you have a gift, but to be able to share your gift with him and tap him into the astrological world and uh, get him dialed in. Oh, my God. That would be an honor. Yeah. I got to ask my mom what time I was born at. I was telling him, I was giving him the breakdown to figure out what his rising and what his moon is and uh, get all that dialed in so we can connect the dots. Yeah. I mean, when I when I first was introduced to astrology, it was that year off. It changed my life because it, it gave me a like. Because I think the reason we 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 follow what other people want from us is because that's all that we have available to us. Mm. And when I found astrology, it tuned me into like a, a bigger a bigger parent's vision for me, you know, and that made more that resonated more with me. Mm. So yeah, it's 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 a great lens to understand ourselves and our purpose. I just moved to uh, San Diego. I live in Solana Beach, and um, I'm moving from Arizona to San Diego, but just watching the moon and the impact the moon has on the the, 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 the tide and the ocean and the power of it, I've never been more into it than, than I have today. And so uh, as I was hearing some of your story and talking to our, our mutual friend, uh, Brian North, about it, I was like, yeah, we got to get Darren dialed in on this. No doubt. Oh, I, I, got, a, I got a question. Um we just interviewed Brandon Marshall earlier and we were talking about how like you guys had a, a mm. conversation about him going to see uh, the doctor at McLean hospital. Dr. Gunderson. Yeah. 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 How did, how, how did, um, how did you first get connected to him in order to pass that along to Brandon? Yeah. So th- this was, this was um, FedEx. Okay. April 11th. <laughs> <laughs> April 11th, the FedEx came and this was like, I was I was scheduled to go. I was it was after my year suspension, and I was 
I was going through the interviews to be reinstated. So I was booked to go to New York and talk to the two doctors there and then to go and talk to Dr. Gunderson to get back in. Mm. And I ended up failing a test a week before I was going to be reinstated. And so um, and I, when I called the NFL, Dr. Brown, when I called the NFL and and they said, well, I'm sorry, you know, we're going to cancel your appointments because, you know, obviously you're not going to be reinstated. And I said, no, 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 no. I said, I still I said, I still want to go. And I said, I still want to go and just have these conversations. So they said, fine. So I went to New York and I had some amazing conversations with these two doctors. And then I went to Boston and I started talking to Dr. Gunderson and we just connected. You know, we just were really connected. And he said, he said, I think you could really benefit from intensive psychotherapy. He said those words and they kind of stuck with me. And so I went back to California and the NFL said, obviously, we're not going to reinstate you. And then I said, would you guys support if I went to Boston and I worked with Dr. Gunderson for a longer period of time? And they said, yes. And so I, I moved, moved my family. We went to Boston and I spoke to Dr. Gunderson five days a week for six months. Right. And part of the program was also I did groups every day. So really just another opportunity to really get to know myself and work on myself with someone that I really respected. And and it was a, a magical moment for me because I had the, the realization of a further realization of what I wanted to be doing with my life. You know, after talking to Dr. Gunderson, the sense I got is I don't really want to be playing football. I want to be doing more of what you're doing. Mm. And so, you know, out of that time, I got that clarity and it was just so meaningful that when when brandon mentioned that he had met dr gunderson i shared my experience and i said it's like it's worth it you know he's just dr gunderson he just had a way of of like being like the 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 old wise guy that like steps out of the way and lets your lets your story unfold and and he helped me really come to terms with with who i was in a way that made it that made it feel good to be myself yeah i uh I read a quote about you saying that uh, you were talking about celebrities, but in general, like people um, giving permission for you to be yourself. And, you know, I hear that in the story that you just said and the story that you shared with your mentor in Australia. And I know that you continuing to speak and grow in the way that you are is uh, giving other people permission as well. And I'm just grateful to have the opportunity to talk to you today, man. It's, it's, uh, this has been amazing. No, I mean, you know, to me, like, and I don't, I'm not even saying I have anything to do with it, but, but I'm saying to, to have this conversation with someone who I, who I respect for what they do on the football field, to like to, to your sensitivity and your self-awareness, like it makes me feel like, like everything I went through is worth it. If, if people coming behind me can, can embrace this and be themselves, can have permission. So, so I like, I, I'm so touched by this conversation and, and like so impressed with, with who you are as a man and what you're doing with your life, that this, this is, this has been an amazing experience. For sure, yeah. Thanks Ricky, man. I mean, just to sit back and witness and to see, uh, um, you know, two, two athletes, two humans, two souls that, you know, at some point were, you know, I feel like Darren's still in the football world, still in his career, but, um, I talk about it all the time and, Maybe I'm speaking for him, but I do feel like if football were to end for him tomorrow, that he's going to be good because he has a purpose beyond the sport, just like you do and how you found that. And I think, um, you know, I think having that leading up to before your career ends, if you're an athlete out there or whatever you're doing to, f to be able to find a purpose beyond or an identity beyond um, your sport or your job title, wherever that is. And um, 
you know, I know you've said it before where part of a celebrity's purpose is to give people permission and to, to sit here and watch you do it is, uh, it's an honor, man. It's an honor to have this conversation. So thank you. No, thanks for this. And the one thing I, I, I want to say as I, as I leave is the, the one thing that I've like recently been, been integrating more is not throwing away the baby with the bathwater and that all of the things that I learned as a football player mm -hmm. have given me the ability to overcome the difficulties that I've, that I faced. Mm -hmm. Right. Cause just the model of football is it doesn't matter who's coming into town. We got a game plan and we have to go execute. So in my life, as soon as I can get clear on who is the opponent, like what is the challenge? Okay. My mindset goes into, okay, you know, throw everything I got at it mm. you know, and see how it goes. And I think that that is just as much the key to my success as any of the meditation or the yoga that I've done. But that, that warrior mindset is necessary to be successful in life. Mm. I look forward to doing some yoga with you one day soon. We oh, can yeah. blow it out. Right, yeah. Looking forward to it. Well, thank you, fellas. Yeah, appreciate you, man. Thanks, brother. Sir, yeah, peace. What's up, Comeback Stories family? It's Donnie dropping in here. So did you know that Darren and I's relationship started by me being his personal development, mindfulness, and mindset coach? I want to let you know about both my one-on-one -on -one coaching program, The Shift, and my group mastermind, Elevate Your Purpose. These coaching programs are specifically designed for people who are ready to take the next step in their purpose and level up their career, personal finances, and have more connected, deep, and meaningful relationships. My gift and part of my purpose is to help others take that next step in leveling up their lives so that they can have a greater impact on the lives of others, create success that's sustainable yet evolves and grows, and help build a legacy that will outlive your life. If this is calling you, just go to DonnieStarkins.com and apply for either one of my programs. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. See for yourself when you sign up today and get $150 in bonus bets when you bet just $5. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. NFL Total Access, the podcast, is getting you ready for the 2024 NFL Draft. I'm your host, Andrew Levy, and I'll be delivering two shows a week to make sure you're caught up on the very latest NFL news, including every free agency move and how it changes the draft needs of your favorite team. Draft experts and talent scouts, mock drafts, and a few shock drafts, too. NFL Total Access, the podcast, is already on the clock on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.